Man, I love watching people make their commitment to Jesus through their baptism. And many of us who are watching this right now have already made this decision. And, and really what we're trying to figure out is how do we translate uh, that commitment into our day-to-day -day lives so that we are faithful to Jesus as well as help our friends understand just how much Jesus loves them and how he has changed our lives and can help change theirs as well. Hey, thanks for watching today. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And if you've been thinking about that decision, we'd love to help you make that. Uh, you can contact us uh, at Adam, our discipleship pastor, Adam at exploremcc.org. And that would be great. So remember with me, if you would, uh, March 10th, people began moving their offices into their homes and doing home offices. And then on March 22nd, Governor DeWine signed the official stay-at-home order uh, for the state of Ohio, effectively closing non-essential businesses, and the order was to last until May 6th. And my perception is that most people were okay with that, at least initially, because that's when these types of things started showing up uh, online, right? Because initially we, we ran out of toilet paper immediately. Uh, and then we got bored. <laughs> it also seemed like people were having a little bit of fun, maybe working at home, right? But even now we're beginning to pick up some weird vibes from our coworkers in our home office. <laughs> hey, to be sure, we all need some time alone. But, but check this out on your notes if you've got your YouVersion app open. We're social creatures, and it's important for us to have strong connections with other people, but solitude is just as important. Studies show that the ability to tolerate alone time has been linked to increased happiness, better life satisfaction, improved stress management. People who enjoy alone time experience less depression, I've actually read that the happiest, most harmonious relationships, uh, in, in those relationships, every couple uh, find it healthy to adhere to the 70-30 rule, that is, spending 70% of their time together and 30% of their time uh, alone, right? Well, on, on your notes still, that gives each of the people time to enjoy freedom to explore their own interests and still be rooted and invested in their own relationships. And I know those numbers differ for all relationships, and we get that, right? We all need some time alone. But then this stay-at-home order was extended until May 1st. And now this week, uh, a modified order called Stay Safe Ohio has been set to expire on May 29th, and our schools have remained closed. And it seems like maybe what it first felt like some time away has been taking an effect on people. I realized I was experiencing it when I was looking forward to going to the grocery store to get romaine lettuce. Listen, why is isolation so hard? Again, on your notes, humans don't just need to be social, don't like to be social, we actually need to be social. In fact, people, check this out, people who have weaker social relationships are 50% more likely to die over a given period than those with more robust uh, connections. To say it another way, and I found this very surprising, 
Being lonely seems to be as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So on your notes continuing, that's why depriving yourself of social connections, even temporarily, it doesn't feel good. Your body is trying to tell you to mingle so that long-term you stay alive. On a human level, the answer is that we were created for relationship. This has been and always will be at the core of who we are as people. All of us have this intrinsic need to belong. But on a spiritual level, the answer is that we sense we are starving, searching, excuse me, for a love that we've lost. Or perhaps more strangely, we're searching for a love that we've never known, but somehow sense it awaits us until we find it. Or more accurately, until we allow it to find us. And so we're going to see this played out uh, when Jesus meets a man in our passage today. And if you've never read this or heard this, this is one of those stories in the Bible. And it's in Mark chapter 5. So on your notes again, beginning in verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, the they in verse 1 refers to Jesus and the 12. And if you're looking at chapter 4 in your Bible, you'll notice that that day Jesus had taught large crowds, so large that he had to teach in part from a boat and then that evening, when Jesus was done teaching, they set off across the lake, but a violent storm comes up. So violent, it threatened to sink the boat. And then Jesus calms the storm. So now they're on the shore of the other side of the lake. And verse 2 tells us that a man with an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet Jesus. And look at how this man is described. Verse 3 says that he lived in a cemetery. Now, keep in mind that tombs in that day were either natural caves or carved out of stone, some so large that they had columns supporting them. So it wasn't like he went to lie down in a hole in the ground. Uh, rather, it was more like a cave. But keep in mind, it was a tomb. All of his friends around him and his neighbors were, you know, dead. Luke's account of this story tells us that he had lived in the tombs and not worn clothing for a long time. Verse 4 says no one was strong enough to subdue him. The message version says it a little differently. It says that uh, no one was strong enough to tame him. So the original meaning of the word subdue was actually used of taming a wild animal. And when Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and said, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to me that you won't torture me. And that's when Jesus looked at him in verse 9 and asked him this question. What's your name? And in verse 10, his response is this. My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send them out of the area. Notice that word we are many, because something we don't notice in the English is that when this man speaks in our text, the verbs alternate from the singular to the plural, as if at times this man is speaking and at other times the demons that live inside of him are speaking. And they beg Jesus to send them into a herd of pigs that are feeding on a nearby hill. Verse 13 he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, notice this, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they drowned. Now, here's something else. Verse 9 again. A Roman legion consisted of 6,000 
foot soldiers. And many scholars take this to mean that as many as 6,000 demons had taken up residence inside of this man. There were enough, keep in mind, there were enough, this is why I wanted to point this out, that in verse 13, 2,000 pigs went insane. Now, there's a lot to this story, but let's go straight to the end. The people who were herding the pigs, they went back into town, they narked Jesus out to the townspeople who came out and saw no more pigs, and they saw legion, verse 15 tells us, sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So they asked Jesus to leave. So in verse 18, as Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Verse 19 says that Jesus didn't let him. He told him to go home and tell everything that God had done for him and how God had shown mercy to him. And in verse 20 says that he did, and the people were amazed. Man, there is a ton there. There's just a ton in this story. But here's what I want to make sure that you see. Verse 18, Jesus is getting into the boat to leave. And notice this man's response. He, he doesn't ask Jesus. I, I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't even polite. It wasn't anything like, hey, Jesus, uh, listen, if you happen to have an extra seat in the boat, what would you think about me? I, it wasn't anything like that. It says he begged. Listen, have you ever begged, genuinely begged for anything in your life? I remember, and it's been decades ago now, that my dad was in a hospital bed dying. And I begged God to let him live. And listen, it, it wasn't pretty. It was not a flowery prayer. There were ugly tears. My heart was killing me. My chest was tight. I was desperate. Do you wonder what this guy was desperate for? I mean, we know he was filled with demons. But how is it that Satan was trying to destroy him? And the reason I ask that is because we know that in 1 Peter 5.8, it tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, verse 10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He does that today, and he certainly did in that day. So how did he seek to destroy this man? We know he had the power. We know the demons had the power to kill him because they killed 2,000 pigs. But it didn't kill him. They isolated him. Is it unfair to say that our enemy would use the same tactic today? Listen, I said at the beginning, and you know that some time alone feels good and is healthy for us. But catch this. The reason isolation is so hard is because it can destroy me. And I want to make sure I point this out. If you hold your breath, you can swim for a great distance underwater. But if you hold your breath too long, you can faint. And if you're without air long enough, you'll die. You can choose to fast from food for a while, and it, will, it can improve your relationship with God. It could improve you physically as well. But if you go too long without eating food, you can starve to death. And you can choose to distance yourself from people for a while, and it can affect us positively, physically and mentally and emotionally and relationally. But if we distance ourselves too long, isolation begins to do more damage than it does good. Keep in mind in prisons that isolation is a severe form of punishment. 
And please note this as well. He was still alive. Our enemy wins big when he steals, kills, and destroys, but keeps you alive. Listen, he lived in the tombs. He stayed away from people, and people stayed away from him. Doesn't Satan do that today? He plants this seed. He whispers in our ear. He attacks our self-worth, our self-esteem, and he says things like, you're worthless, or you're a failure, or you're stupid, or nobody wants to be around you. Nobody wants to be with you. So stay in bed. Don't go to work. Separate yourself from your family. Don't go to that party. Don't go to church, and for whatever sakes, do not speak to God because he's not going to listen to you anyway. And it's kind of that question in verse 7, where Legion says, what do you want with me, Jesus? More accurately, in the original language, what do we have in common, Jesus? Listen, and you know people who are still asking that today, right? What would God want with a person like me? Satan not only wants to isolate us from each other, he wants to isolate us from God. And his design, the enemy's design, is to get you to believe that nobody wants you around, so you go it alone and you isolate yourself. And we know from the very beginning of the Bible, the very first book, it's the creation story. That that when God created everything, he saw that it was good. And the very first thing that God looked and saw was not good in all of creation is it's not good for man to be alone. We are created by a relational God for relationship. And we only begin to experience life fully when we move toward healthy relationships and healthy community. Your soul will never be satisfied with less than that. But look at what happens when we don't. And I hope this helps you see others around you a little more clearly and maybe even, for some of us, understand our own experience a little bit more realistically. Without real love, I will accept fake love. Listen, whether we like it or or not, much of our self-worth is rooted in how others feel about us or, or think about us. And if we belong to no one, we begin to feel worthless to ourself. And because of that, we'll do almost anything to belong to someone or to something. You know, sex can be the most intimate and beautiful expression of love, but we're only lying to ourselves if we act as if sex is a proof of love. Too many men men demand sex as proof of love, and too many women have given sex in hopes of love. So I put this on your notes. There are also people who do not believe that they're worthy of love, and you find them moving from one destructive relationship to another, what they call love any reasonable person would call abuse. They're held hostage by their need for love. They're made victims because they don't believe they deserve love, and so they will settle for whatever they can get. And because we crave love, the real deal, without the real deal, people will accept, even chase, fake love. Here's something else I want to make sure you get as well. If I cannot receive love, I'm not going to give love either. Listen, you've asked yourself this question at one time or another, I'm sure, is there anyone who really cares? And if your conclusion is no, you decide to join them. 
You're not going to care either. And you are not going to be hurt by people anymore. And sometimes we take this so far as to say, to keep other people from hurting us, I'm going to inflict pain on them first. Listen, on your notes, again, I just want to make sure you get this. Contact with the real world is not optional. It's essential. We are created for relationship. For us to be healthy, we, we must be a part of others. Independence is one thing. Isolation is something else. The more we live disconnected lives, the more we become indifferent to the well-being of others. Listen, we live in a time when the most terrifying bomb is not nuclear. It's human. And there are people around us right now who are ready to explode. And I wonder how many people are walking around with fuses that are already lit. You are a danger to the world when you love nothing. You're even more dangerous when you love the wrong things. And when there is a vacuum in your life, within your, uh, within your soul, hate and bitterness and envy and racism, they will all rush in to fill that void. So catch this as well. Sometimes when I feel unlovable, the person I hurt is myself. That's verse 5, by the way, in this story. We see it lived out. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And I don't know if you know what that feels like or not. Anne knew what it was like to grow up like that. Because like far too many people, she was unwanted when she was born, and so she was raised in an abusive environment where she was physically and emotionally and sexually abused. And one of the earliest memories that she has in her life is she's three years old, and she's standing in front of her mom, and her mom is screaming at her for doing something wrong that she doesn't even remember, but what she does remember is thinking to herself, if I could just hold my breath long enough, I would never come back. She's three years old, and she's already thinking about how to end her life. Years later, she jumped from one abusive environment to another. She married a man who was a drug addict and an alcoholic and liked to beat her up, and she recalls one night only weeks after her second son's birth, that her husband was out with another woman. She gets up for the 2 a.m. feeding, and she feels very alone in the world. And it is pouring down rain, and she sat at the window, and she told God that she's always believed that he was out there. But if this was it, if this is the way that life is going to be, there's no point in living. In her own words, she said, I began to suffer from what she called Mack truck syndrome. God, if only he could be killed by getting hit by a Mack truck. And then, and then she said, I thought of ways to kill my husband, to kill myself, to kill my children, to keep him from laying a hand on them. And I realized the futility of all of these thoughts, so I asked God to reveal himself to me if life mattered at all. And then she said, he did. That night at 2 a.m., I went into the basement and I searched through the storage boxes to find my Bible. She said, I was raised a Catholic, and honestly, we just didn't really read the Bible. But I knew God was in that book somewhere. She said, I read... I read the part about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the suffer, suffering that he endured for love. And in that basement, on a dark, rainy night, a now grown-up three-year-old girl 
found a reason to breathe. She said she'd never really known something uh, she'd never really experienced came from the pages of an ancient text that God's entire motivation toward her was love, that he too had endured a dark night of the soul, that he had suffered for love so that she could find love in her suffering. When she tells her story, she would make this the opening line, unwanted when I was born. Truthfully, God would passionately disagree with her and would change the title to this, wanted before you were conceived, loved from your very first breath. Listen, your next step in your faith, if you're not struggling right now, if this isolation isn't crushing you at this moment, and you're healthy enough, would, would you reach out to those who are around you? you? You never know who might be struggling at this moment that is within arm's length social distancing from you, that you can reach into their lives with a phone call or a text or an email. And listen, if, if you are struggling at this moment, your next step of faith, and, and it will feel like quite a step of faith for you, and I understand that when I ask this of you. Would you contact us? Would you reach out to us? I mean, you can contact us through our Facebook page, our website. You can call our office. You can call one of our staff folks. Listen, we, we want to make sure that you know that you matter to God and that you matter to us as well. So please reach out to us. Listen, we say we love an awful lot of things. We love chocolate, we love Skyline Chili, we love our car, we love our house, we love nature. And while I'm sure God appreciates all of those things because the Bible tells us that he is the creator of all good and perfect gifts, creation is not the object of his affection. When it comes to love, you exist in a unique category. Listen, there are a lot of things that are dispensable to God because he's the creator. He can recreate anything that he wants. You, however are not on that list. You are unique and irreplaceable. You are the object of God's love. And the strange thing about God is that the one that we deserve the least is the one that we need the most and is the one who desires us the most. And so each week, we bring our ba ourselves back so that we can remember that. We come to a time of communion. And I want to lead you to our time of communion with a verse from the Old Testament because I hope the cross reminds you of how much God loves you. In Isaiah chapter 49, we read this. I can never forget you. I have written your names. I've written your name, your name on the palms of my hand. And then he allowed those palms to be nailed to a cross when he gave his life for our sins. Listen, remember, it's on your notes up above. I'm just going to draw your eyes back up to them. We are searching for a love we have never known, but somehow sense awaits us until we find it. Or more accurately, until we allow it to find us. And if you haven't yet, I hope today you will allow that love to find you. Allow us to help you to connect with God.
And if you're a follower of his, this time now reminds us of that great love that has chased us and would not let us go. A love that we have surrendered to. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time when we stop and, and some of the stories that we read, like of this man, Legion, not even his real name, but it's the name that what was trying to destroy him gave him, and maybe some of us can relate to that. There's something we're calling ourselves that you would never call us because you're our father and you love us. But the enemy has us believing a lie, and so... For some of us, we used to believe that lie as well. And at times, we may still struggle with that. And so we come to this time of communion to remind us of the lengths to which you were willing to go to convince us otherwise. So, Father, may this moment, as we remember um, the sacrifice, Jesus, the emblem that reminds us of your body that was broken for us, and the juice that will remind us of your blood, that was shed for us on the cross so that you could trade your life for our sins, that we might get to be part of your family, get to have you guide us in this lifetime and give us the hope for life beyond this as part of your kingdom, as part of your church, as part of your family connected together. Father, we are grateful. And we pray this as we remember Jesus in your powerful name. Amen.